to worship God in music, amen? It is my extreme privilege and honor to introduce to you our speaker for today. He is a senior, and many of the students here probably know him. His name is Mark Zelaya. And this week, we've been having testimonies from students sharing how God has impacted their life. And so Mark will be doing the same thing today, sharing how God has impacted the lives of his parents and of himself, most importantly. So please join me in giving him a round as he comes on up to share his testimony. Good morning, church. Have a Sabbath. If you don't mind, uh, just very quickly before I begin my speak, I would uh, just like to pray with you guys. Uh, bow your heads with me. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, as I'm here and I'm ready to just uh, give my story, God, I just ask that my words may not be mine because I'm flawed. I have mistakes and maybe I'll trip over them. But Lord, I ask that these words may be yours, that this may be your story, and that through me you can show them that everyone has a story, God. And so I just ask that you can help me talk correctly. In your name, amen. Take your wife home. She is going to die. That was a sentence my dad never expected to hear. See, but a few days before that, my mom was perfectly healthy. She had just developed a headache over the course of a few days and suddenly had gotten a little more worrisome. One day, she decided it was just too painful and too bizarre, and so she asked my dad to take her to the hospital. Now, the first couple of days, he was just like, oh, it's a headache, you'll get over it, it's fine, just don't worry about it. Everyone has a headache sometimes, you know, maybe it's just like you didn't sleep right, you didn't eat right, you didn't drink enough water, but it just felt too weird. So, eventually, he did decide to take her to the hospital. And upon arriving, the doctors, they started doing a couple of tests. And they decided to keep her there because they couldn't find the source of the problem. My mom just had a headache and they couldn't find out what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't like a fever, it wasn't some sort of disease or virus, they couldn't find it. And so they kept her overnight and said that they would keep doing tests and find whatever it was that was wrong with her. And so my dad, of course, he didn't he decided not to stay home, uh, to stay there the entire night. He instead went home because they, he thought it was just normal, you know, she'll be fine. And so he went, up, he went home to the kids, and obviously he didn't really tell us what was going on because uh, we were too young to understand. I myself was three years old, and my oldest sibling was around 10. None of us suspected anything, especially not me. I was too young and too innocent to even think about it. I mean, my parents left the house sometimes, I knew that, and so to me it just seemed normal, you know? Maybe my mom was out doing groceries or something, I don't know. And instead, I just chose to focus on whatever uh, goes on in the mind of a three-year-old and just forget about my mom. The next day, my dad dropped off my two older siblings to school, and uh, he took my sister and I to our grandma's house. And to me, it was just like, oh, okay, cool, I'm gonna go to grandma's house, I love my grandma, you know? I get to eat some good food and spend some quality family time. And while this was happening, and I was just completely unaware, my dad went back to the hospital to check up on my mom. And that is when he heard the worst words that he ever could. Take your wife home, she is gonna die. It turns out that that 
little headache that my mom was worried about was actually stage four leukemia. And for those who don't know what that is, it's basically a cancer of the blood that removes all of your white blood cells. Those protect your body, and without them, literally any type of harmless bacteria could be fatal to her. And so my mom was just on the brink of death. She was weak and, and dying and suffering, and the doctors couldn't do anything about it. They simply told my dad to take her home so that she could enjoy her last moments with her family and be at peace in bed. They didn't want her to be uncomfortable in the hospital bed all by herself with no one around, so they said, take her home, let her be with her family, she's going to die anyways. Everyone, including those doctors, thought she was going to die. Family, friends, church members. But while this was happening, I was completely oblivious to the situation, and I didn't even know that my mom was battling with this terrible cancer, and she was about to die. It was the final stage. There was no recovery at this point. I was just over at my grandma's house, enjoying some quality family time, or so I thought. I was too childish to understand all the big adult talk or even why I was there. I just couldn't understand. See, while I was just completely oblivious and everything was around me was just like crashing down, my mom was dying. This was going to be terrible. Imagine I became, I lost my mom at three years old. But God provided a safe space for me at my grandma's house. And he wanted to protect my innocence, you know. God doesn't just leave us there. He brings us somewhere safe, and he protects us there. And for me, that was my grandma's house. But all right, back to the story. My dad told as many people as he could to help pray for his wife, right? I mean, prayer is powerful, and so he asked as many people as he could, please pray for my wife, and he himself prayed feverishly. The day after, he went to visit her again, expecting to see her, you know, dying or maybe already even dead. But instead, he was greeted with some of the best news ever. Overnight, just as in the blink of an eye, my mom was healed. The doctors were completely confused, but my dad knew the cause of the miracle. He knew there was only one doctor who could heal such a terrible sickness as cancer. It was the work of a silent doctor, a silent miracle worker, who had come in the dark of night and had worked everything back into place inside of my mom. It was God. My mom came back home not long after, even though she felt a little sick and tired, but the doctors tested and they knew the cancer was gone. It was completely erased and all her blood cells were back to normal. I was allowed to go back home after staying with my grandma for a while and when I, when I saw my mom, I just hugged her and moved on. I, was, I didn't even know that she had literally just come back from a huge miracle and that she had almost died. To me, it just felt normal. And that reminds me of a little story in the Bible, and I'll just like to read uh, three verses. This is found in John 5, 7 through 9. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take thy bed, and walk. And at once, at once, the man was healed, and he took his bed and walked. And that's kind of what happened with my mom. I mean, it was just immediate. One night, all the cancer, gone. The biggest, the, 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 the biggest thing that God taught me from this entire experience is that sometimes 
God works even when I don't see him. I didn't know this entire thing happened until a few months ago when one of my uncles told me. I, if he hadn't told me, I would have gone my entire life without knowing that my mom almost died from cancer. And that was one of the biggest miracles that I have ever seen in my life, especially with, for my mom. And that's just how God is sometimes. Sometimes he works right in front of me and I can see all the huge miracles that he does. But sometimes the biggest miracles are actually behind my back when I don't notice. Another thing that I learned is that sometimes miracles can happen in the blink of an eye, in an instant, and from, from one night to the other, healed. But sometimes it takes a, little, it, sometimes it takes a longer process. Uh, let me give you a little example. My dad, ever since he was around 10 years old, he was riding around on a horse one time. And, you know, 10-year-olds, they don't exactly think what's going to happen if this happens. So he was just riding around and... Is the horse must have gotten spooked and it kicked him off and he fell wrong and messed up his shoulder. And for whatever reason, when he went to the doctor, it was never fully healed. And it, it didn't get the proper treatment and it was never back the same. And his entire life, he lived with a bad shoulder. And it was his dominant shoulder too, so it was constantly like hurting, bothering him. He couldn't play sports, he couldn't really like do a whole lot of things, but he still moved on and he learned to live with it. And he is now, my dad is currently in his 50s, and he has gone the majority of, li of his life, since 10 to 50-something, with his arm like that. And just earlier this year, he got a surgery to fix it. However, he didn't just walk out of the hospital jumping and shouting and praising of, God, of how his arm was fixed. Instead, he came home nauseous and hurting and he felt like vomiting and he couldn't even move his arm at all. It was in a huge cast, not a, a cast, a, 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 like a little sling to keep it in place so he wouldn't move it around and he literally was stuck like this. However, it did begin to heal. And sometimes, just when we think it's worse, is when it actually begins to heal. And sometimes when it hurts, is when it's doing us the most good. My dad was in complete pain. He could not, it was just like a, a, a hurting sensation throughout his entire arm. And it hurt, and it was his dominant arm. So he couldn't really do a whole lot. But it had to hurt, because that meant that it was healing. And I've watched and been witness to a different type of godly influence. There's the quick overnight immediate miracle, as with my mom, and there's the slow, painful process that my dad went through. And sometimes, that's the process which we need to be put through. After my dad got the surgery, of course, he knew that he was in pain and hurting, but he could see ahead, and he could see that in the end, his arm would be fixed, and it would be back to the way it was when he was a kid. And so he began the process of healing. And every night, the same silent doctor who had healed my mom went and slowly began to heal my dad just a little bit more every night. And he went through some physical therapy, through all the pain of hardly being able to use his dominant arm, but just, just when it seemed like it was all getting better, when it was finally going to heal, when he was finally going to be able to move his arm right, it all went south. It snows a lot where I live, and if it isn't properly cleaned, and sometimes even when it is, ice forms all over the sidewalks and driveway. It just so happened on a regular morning that uh, 
As my dad was walking out of the house to go to the car, there was black ice on the driveway to our home. And as you might expect, he slipped, falling right on the injured shoulder. I'm sure you can imagine the pain that he went through and how he felt like just when it was all getting better, right back to square one. But that sent him back a lot, and he kept going. And even today, he is still receiving physical therapy and healing. See, sometimes, even though it's a painful process and there are setbacks and it, there's pain, we can be assured that God will put us through, and in the end, we will all be better. My dad has had to learn that sometimes, through pain and setbacks, we can still look forward to completion and renewal of what God truly wants us to be. That story reminds me of a different Bible verse, and it's just one this time. I want to share it. It's 1 Peter 5.10. And it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Looking at my parents' life and their two stories, you know, the fast healing and the slow healing, I used to think that I didn't have a testimony. I used to think that there wasn't anything that happened in my life that was noteworthy, uh, and I thought that whenever I heard someone else's testimony, that I could never talk about mine, because it didn't sound as good or it didn't seem as powerful. But even if it doesn't seem as good as powerful as theirs, I do have a story. Although it might seem like just a stroke of good luck or just a coincidence or just chance. I don't think I should be here today, or maybe even alive. Let me tell you why and how. When I was maybe three years old, I used to be a rotten little child. I used to be the one that would always tattletale on my kids, on, on, my, on my siblings, and then whenever they got in trouble, I would stand behind my parents and laugh at them and make funny faces and be like, haha, I got you in trouble, look at me, I'm so cool. So any older sibling knows that feeling, and you just hate your sibling. You want to punch him in the face so bad. You just want to beat him. And so my, I had three older siblings, and all of them hated my guts because of that. I was the tattletale. I was a snitch. I was always the one that was like, ha-ha, look what you did. I'm going to go tell mom and dad. So one day, they got sick of it, and they were like, you know what? This kid's really annoying. Let's just get rid of him. Now, of course, I know, I know, this sounds terrible, but you have to remember, they were just kids, so obviously they didn't understand the concept of consequences, and in their minds, they just thought they could get rid of me to stop me from ever telling on them again. So, they formed a little plan, and one day, when my parents weren't looking, they let me go to the top bunk of one of the beds in the house. Now, if you know, kids aren't supposed to be on the top bunk, and the reason for that is because you can fall <laughs> off of it, and you can injure yourself. Now, of course, I was just three, maybe even two years old, so I didn't know that. I was just like, oh, cool. My parents don't let me do that. My siblings do. Hey, why not? You know, My parents aren't looking. Why, what, what, what can go wrong? Now, I fell, of course. And I didn't fall on my hands and knees or even on my elbows. I landed straight on my head, and nothing happened. I, I cried, I got a bump on my head, and all of us kids, we got reprimanded by our parents, of course, because they had allowed me to go up there and injure myself. But 
I know I could have landed just slightly wrong, been at a different angle, and I could have been hurt badly or worse. I could have been put in a coma. I could have, I could have, I could have died. I could have received brain damage. I could have broken my neck right there, and then I would have never be here speaking in front of you guys. But I might not be standing here in front of you today, had it not been for the hand of the silent doctor, who, instead of allowing me to fall just so that he could save me and show his power. Instead, he decided, why am I going to make him go through all that anyways? And so he stuck out his hand and let my head fall on it, so that instead of hitting the floor and hurting myself, I had a little cushion. And I'm sure he was right there, watching, waiting. He knew what my siblings were thinking. He knew what they wanted to do. They wanted to get rid of me, so I would never tell on them again. And. I would like to read one last verse. It is in, found in Psalms 91, 11, and 12. It reads, "For he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone." Now I know for me it wasn't exactly a foot against the stone. It could have been even worse than that. But I guess the point is, if you think you don't have a story, you do. See, to me, that just seems like, you know, every kid gets hurt. I was just another kid. I got hurt. It's okay. You move on. But that we don't see all the things that happen behind the scenes. And everyone has a story. Maybe you just don't know it yet. I, I always looked at everyone's story and thought I didn't have one. I thought I needed to hit my head and go into a coma to show the power of this silent doctor. But we don't need that. I can't wait until we get to heaven, so I can ask my guardian angel to show me all the times when he was there and the impact of a silent doctor on my life. But while we're still here, we're still on this earth, and we can't do that yet. We can't exactly ask them to show us all the times where they saved our lives. But what we can do is sing, because there is a work here that is unfinished, and as we're facing it, we need to go out knowing. That God will protect us, God will heal us, and God will put us through the slow, painful process sometimes to get us through. Let's sing, facing a task unfinished. Please join us by standing and singing, facing a task unfinished.
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ for all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
together in worship of our Creator God. Amen. The music that you've heard today, it's warmed my heart and brought me closer to the throne of God. I hope it has for you as well. It is my extreme privilege right now to actually introduce our speaker for today. Uh, Shelby Waller is a junior this year, and as she comes up to set up, I want to explain a little bit of what she's going to be talking about today. This week, we've been having our week of prayer at Campion Academy, and we've had students come and share their testimonies of how God has impacted their lives and worked in mighty, mighty ways. So today, Shelby gets to share her testimony of how God has been working in her life marvelously and miraculously. So I hope you enjoy as Shelby shares her testimony today. Oops. Good morning and happy Sabbath, guys. I would like to start out with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the extreme privilege of being able to rest on your Sabbath and come closer to your throne. Please let this story not be mine, but yours. And please let these words not be mine, but yours. Thank you, amen. Okay, so to start out, I'd like to give you some history about my family. My family has a long history of Adventism. There's only one person that I know of that was converted to Adventism. And so we have a lot of miracles in our family. One of those included my great-grandfather during World War II. He was the leader of a two-tank division, and the Germans had snuck up behind him, and they were going to shoot him. And then the bullet was planned straight for his heart. But at that moment, he was, you know... Tem not tempted, but he got the urge to bend down and pick something up for some odd reason. And the bullet grazed his spine instead of going straight through. So God has been very prevalent in our family. That being so, I was brought up in a Seventh-day Adventist home. However, that does not mean that God was my personal savior. In fact, I wouldn't consider him to have become real to me until seventh grade year. That would be in the winter of seventh grade year. It had snowed the night before, and so the roads were very icy. And I remember thinking, going to school as we were leaving the house, I thought, if anything bad was going to go wrong today, it would be on this one particular corner. 
Now, this one corner was on the highway, and it wasn't a sharp blind curve, but it was blind so that way you couldn't see who was coming at you until they were right there. And so, sure enough, as we come around the corner and we're in the middle of the curve, there's this white car that is doing 360s in our lane. And me, sitting in the front seat, because I was allowed to now when it was cool, I remember freaking out. And I turned to my dad and I said, do something. Slam on the brakes, turn the wheel, do something. Because he was just holding our truck in a steady course towards this car and I couldn't understand it. I was freaking out and dad calmly turned to me and said, Shelby, I can do nothing. If I turn that wheel, if I step on that brake, I'm most likely going to go out of control too. And then the accident will just be that much worse. And that's when I thought, God, if you're going to save us, it's up to you. Because obviously my dad can do nothing. And I'm watching this car come closer and closer and closer. And it's probably within 10 feet. At least that's what it seemed like in my childhood mind. Um, and it's at the point in its spin where it's facing us head on. So its wheels are straight, everything. And perpendicular to its travel path, it slides across the road into its own lane. And I have a slightly photographic memory, and I don't know if I actually saw a hand, but in the image in my mind, when I think of that scene, there is this big hand that is just gently pushing that car over into his own lane. The car wasn't hurt, and we weren't hurt, and we both continued on our day. And that was when I really recognized that, hey, God is real, and he actually intervenes in our lives. But I wouldn't consider him to be my personal savior yet. I got baptized the end of seventh grade year, but I was baptized more out of a fear of going, not going to heaven than out of a love for God. And so even after my baptism, I wouldn't necessarily consider God to be a friend or a personal savior to me. The summer after eighth grade year, between freshman year and eighth grade year, we were trying to decide where I would go to high school. We were in between coming here to Campion or going up to Mount Ellis, because we were kind of in between at that point, and we ended up, you know, we were praying about it and praying about it, and we ended up deciding to come to Campion. Well, that summer, my home life wasn't that great, and I must take all the blame for that, because I wasn't that great of a kid that year. I would argue with my sister almost every single day, and I wasn't necessarily friends with my parents. And I, I regret that, because I think I missed some good times. But that being so, when I came to Campion, I was excited, but it wasn't so much out of an excitement of being able to meet new people and be in a Christ-like environment. It was more of an excitement to be away from my family, because I just needed that break. And so, um, Coming here, I consider that kind of like the wake-up time in my life. I didn't necessarily want a relationship with God then, but I was more surrounded with people who did have one, and I started to see what a relationship with God looked like. The summer between freshman year and sophomore year, my family started building a house. We had been in Durango for around four years, and we wanted to settle down because things looked good. And dad's dream has always been 
to build himself a house. And so we started on that. It was a big project, but my parents were excited. And yeah, we just started building a house. I came back to Campion sophomore year, and I would consider this to be my true wake-up time because I was less distracted than I was freshman year. I had more friends who were Christ-like, and there was one person in particular who was very open about his beliefs in God. He was a leader on campus, and he would talk to me about his devotions and what I was doing, and he was really the one who kind of encouraged me to get my acts together and to actually start wanting a relationship with God. That year, I also joined Pathfinders, which was amazing, and I was back kind of in a pattern of what I had done before. So that spring break, actually, we got sent home. And it was interesting because, you know, it was COVID and whatever. But at this point, my relationship with my family is better. And so it wasn't that bad. It was just hard being on a screen all day long, every single day. And so um, we're doing all of that, and summer comes. School's over, and we're looking forward to summer break. For those of you who know, and maybe some who don't know, when you come back to Campion as an upperclassman, they ask you to pay $1,000 towards your school bill. And I wanted to make that because my family kind of expected it of me, and I just wanted to help out in that way. And so I was looking for a job. I was sending out multiple applications, praying about it, making phone calls, and praying about it more. But nothing was coming up. I ended up finally getting connected with our preschool teacher down at the school down there, and she wanted me to babysit her two kids. And I said, thank you, Lord. It's a job. It was only going to pay $500, and it was supposed to be for two weeks. During that time, she would call me like the night before and say, um, actually, their grandma's going to watch them today, or I don't need you to babysit for this and this reason. And so at the end of the two weeks, I ended up coming out with only $250. At this point, it's not looking very hopeful that I'll get my $1,000. And so mom calls Mr. Helm and asked if he could lower the price. And Mr. Helm said, sure, we'll only make $500 the minimum for Shelby to earn. And we were like, okay, thank you, Lord, it's a blessing. We continued on, and one day, I think I was out mowing, and when I came back inside, mom said, Shelby, I have some bad news for you. And I said, okay, what is it? She said, Shelby, your dad just lost his job. And I said, oh boy. <laughs> um, you know, we didn't think that this would happen because his job had been considered essential. And he, two weeks before, had been, you know, assured that his job was going to stay operable. But it didn't happen. Because of COVID, my dad got laid off, and now we don't have an income besides my mom's. And so now I really need to make the $1,000, and so our prayers increase. And we're asking for a job. I'm looking at more applications and more options. And one day, my mom came up to me, and she said, Shelby, why don't you call your distant relative? And I had totally forgotten about them. We had had them over for an outdoor church um, earlier on in the summer. 
And they had offhandedly offered me a job. And, you know, they hadn't started their fruit stand yet, and so it wasn't offered right then, but they said, if you want, you can call us and we might have a job for you this summer. I had completely forgotten about it, and this is within a month before school starts. So I called her, and she said, yes, I would actually love to have you come. So I packed up, and I went up there because they were an hour away, so I had to stay at their house. But the day that I started work, she came up to me and said, Shelby, I really think it's a God thing that you're here. The day that you called me, I had just lost one of my girls that was working for me, and I was going to start looking for a new one. And I said, wow, because this is the two weeks before school starts, so it's like deadline time. And I worked, and I ended up getting $1,000 in that two weeks, which was a huge blessing. But I not only got $1,000, she also gave me $800 extra. This fruit stand exists to help students pay for their schooling. And she had heard about my situation, and she decided to give me $800 that I hadn't earned, which was another blessing on top of that. So I came to Campion, and I was excited this year because, you know, I have friends here, and I was excited to be able to come back. And so I came here, but it wasn't for sure that I was going to be able to finish out the school year because we didn't know if we'd have the money to pay all of my tuition. My mom ended up getting a call from her mom, and she said, Kara, this year, down in Florida, they, they do this thing where you can apply for free tuition if you're a financially um, troubled family. And my uncle and aunt had applied the year before, and they hadn't gotten it. They applied again this year, and they did get it. And so now my grandma was able to put that money that she would normally use to help out with my cousin's schooling, she was able to put that towards my schooling. And so that was a big blessing, and I, we were thanking God because, yes, my parents wanted to try to pay for my schooling by themselves, but if we couldn't, now we had funds to fall back on. However, my dad still doesn't have a job, and he needs one. <laughs> so he's looking, and we're praying, and I end up getting a call, and Dad says, Shelby, I need you to keep praying but I found two possible jobs. One of them is in Mountain Home, Idaho, and the other is in Bozeman, Montana. I said, okay, that's great. We had a family meeting about it to decide which one we really wanted to try to get to, and our whole family wanted to go back to Montana. To tell you a little history about that, we have lived in Montana twice before this, and so it's kind of like going home. My dad said, okay but I haven't gotten offered the job yet. I'll go for the interview, and you know, we'll see. Dad goes for the interview, and we're all praying. <laughs> he ends up getting offered the job, but there are some stipulations that we can't agree with. For one, the company wanted us to move there on our own money, so they wanted us to pay for the move completely. They also wanted Dad to start within the month or so, but it would have been pretty much impossible for us to pack up everything and get up there in time, as well as find a house. And they also didn't want to give him a lot of vacation time. And so he said, Shelby, I can't accept the job unless if they change some of these things. He said, I'm going to write them an email, and we're going to see, but you need to keep praying. So I did. I kept praying. 
And the company ended up rethinking, and they pushed back his start date. They helped pay for our move, and all of that jazz. And so Dad was able to accept this job offer, and we moved. So now I live in Bozeman, Montana. It's really great, but we weren't out of we weren't out of the water yet. I, if you remember, between sophomore and junior year, I had a lot of trouble finding a job. And so this year, I was kind of worried that it would be the same. Over Christmas, my sister told us that she wanted to go to summer camp. I was able to go to summer camp when I was 10, and it was fun. But Shohana had never been able to go, and Mom and Dad said, "You may go if you pay for it out of your savings account." And Shohana said, "Okay, I'm going to do it." And I said, "What are the chances that I get a job at Myvedon while she's there?" So I just applied because I'm like, "Why not?" You know, and I kind of forgot about it. I prayed about it some, but I wasn't really expecting anything. I came back to school, and we ended up getting sent home because of COVID, and so I went to my aunt and uncle's house. While there, I had my interview, and the director of the camp said, "Shelby, I don't want to get your hopes up. We don't hire a lot of 17-year-olds to work in the barn because we don't want our barn run by 17-year-olds. That makes sense." He said, "We also had a lot of 17-year-olds apply this year, and so the chances of you getting the job are very slim." I said, "Okay," and at that point, I kind of gave it over to the Lord again. I said, "Lord, if you want me to get this job, it's up to you, because at this point, I can do nothing else." And I kind of, you know, forgot about it. I prayed about it some, but I didn't have my hopes really high. I went home over spring break, and. I was in the kitchen doing something on my iPad. I think I was trying to get music or something, and I saw this email from Denise Kinney, and it was something, somewhat, someone that I didn't recognize, and so I guessed that it was from Myvedon, and I didn't want to open up the email because I was afraid that it would be saying, "I'm sorry, but we can't offer you the job." I think I asked my mom to open it up, and she said, "Shelby, you got the job." And if you ask my mom, she will tell you that I screamed at the top of my lungs because God had come through for me, and He got me a job before the summer was even really being thought about. So that was amazing. And now my sister doesn't want me to teach her how to ride a horse, but you know, it might be fun. <laughs> Anyways, going back to. Kind of the problems. We also had a house that we were trying to build. We had just got the drywall up before we decided to move, and so this house is unfinished. And now we're trying to sell it. We had moved from Missoula, Montana, down to Durango, Colorado, and we had a almost fully remodeled house at that point, and we had tried to sell it, and it took around four years to sell that house. That was amazing. It was a beautiful house. And now we have to sell an unfinished house in a high housing market, kind of out in the middle of nowhere on a dirt road, and we didn't know if anybody would want it. But we prayed about it, and we asked the Lord to sell our house. We ended up having a person that was interested in it, and so we were thanking the Lord, saying, "Thank you. We might actually be able to sell this house in a timely manner." But then they had a conversation with their contractor. And their contractor quoted them a very large price to finish the house, and so they were reconsidering. 
And we were like, oh no. <laughs> you know, we started praying in earnest at that point because we really need to sell this house. Like, we, we don't want to have this house, you know, hanging over our heads this whole time. And so they end up getting back to us and they told Dad, we still want to buy your house. I said, okay, that's great. The closing date was supposed to be on April 1st, and no, it's not an April Fool's prank. But for some odd reason, they couldn't have the contract signed electronically. It had to go all the way through the mail. And so the closing date got moved back to April 8th. And I was still kind of worried that something would happen and that they would end up backing out of the deal. So we were still praying. And then on April 8th, our house closed. And it was just a huge blessing because, you know, now we don't have any, you know, debts left on that house and everything worked out well. And so through this whole testimony, there was a lot of prayer. Um, our family tries to pray for everything. And um, I think this testimony really shows that when you're faithful in prayer, God hears you and he will listen. So don't give up on prayer. Even when God seems silent, which I know he sometimes does, I've gone through that myself, but even when he feels silent, keep praying because he's not silent. He might just be saying, wait a little while longer. Maybe he's just saying, I have something way better in mind for you because God has your best interests in mind and he will always take you under your wing and you know he has your back. I really especially like Romans 12, verse 12. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. And so, even when God feels silent, just remember to be constant in prayer, and this affliction will probably make you stronger. So, thank you. Please join us by standing as we sing Facing a Task Unfinished.
church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.